Hey everyone, I'm your host, Wesley Tran, and welcome to Recovering Travel Junkie, a podcast where we'll be discussing how traveling has impacted a person's personal growth and purpose, and we'll be diving deeper to understanding the world's different human beings. Welcome to Recovering Travel Junkie. I'm Wesley, and today we have my special friend with us. She is an aspiring pilot. She's fearless and is always down for an adventure and is a jack of all trades of unique hobbies. She is my friend, Emma Smith. Welcome. Hey guys, I'm Emma. Nice to meet you. (laughs) So Emma, I like to ask this question to all my guests. Do you remember where we first met or whatever our first interaction was? I do actually. Um, we were both ministry leaders through Point Loma's Community Ministries program. And I remember I was brand new and we went on that retreat up into wherever the mountains are in California. That was close to Point Loma. Or an Alpine. Um, yeah, Alpine. And I think that was the first time I ever met you was during those beginning games where it was all like get to know each other, team building, all of that. And you were super fun, a good team player, always full of ideas. Super fun to be around, full of good energy. That's what I remember about first meeting you. Thanks. I think my first memory of you was before that, during IT. I'm pretty sure we met at IT before you became a ministry leader. No way. I'm pretty, I remember like the first day you were hired, I was like the leader for, to get you integrated into IT. Huh, that's so funny. I completely forgot that. (laughs) Yeah, so Emma, so you want to be a pilot, an airline pilot in particular. Can you tell us more about that and the steps it takes to become an airline pilot? Yeah, so it's pretty new ground for me as well. Um, It's kind of a newer realization that I've had, but current steps or steps in the near future for me I'm going to graduate so that I have my degree, um, first of all, and then I'll go on to um, like airline or flight school, flight academy. And there's a couple different ones in San Diego that I'll be applying to. And that looks like a couple years where you go through some ground school training. And then uh, it's basically a lot of earning your hours. So a lot of people do that through becoming a flight instructor or um It's pretty common to go into the military, but I don't think I'll probably do that. So probably become a flight instructor for a couple years, earn my hours. And then from there, you're able to go into like the smaller feeder programs and bigger and better from there. So kind of one thing at a time, just taking it as it comes. But right now, just finishing up my degree first. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And have you ever flown a flying vehicle of some sorts? I have once. Yeah. It was pretty recent. So last semester, I interviewed a couple different pilots for a project in one of my classes, and one of them offered to take me on a test flight. And so I went and I flew. He let me fly the plane for a little bit, which was like the coolest thing ever. And we just flew around San Diego, um, like around the point and everything. So I could see what it was like and what he explained, like what all of the gadgets do on the dashboard and how takeoff and landing works. It was just a little Cessna plane but it was really, really cool. That's awesome. And for your project, did you happen to interview any female pilots? 
because I think that's pretty rare in the United States. It is incredibly rare. I didn't get to e- or get to interview any female pilots, but I wrote an essay um, for a different class, actually, but about female pilots in the airline industry. And I think the number is like 4% of pilots in America are female. Tiny. Yeah, like ridiculous. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I get to be an advocate for that in my journey as well. Yeah, for sure. And what inspired you to pursue becoming a pilot? Good question. Um, I never really knew what it was that I wanted to do, how I wanted to spend my time or like career passion wasn't really there. Um, But I love to travel and see the world and I love bringing people with me. And what better way to do that than fill a plane and send them wherever they want to go. I love spending my time in airports and like seeing all different kinds of people for all different reasons. Uh, There's no other place like an airport. And so um, when I had to pick a career that I wanted to do a project on for that same class, pilot was the only thing that I could come up with that I was willing to spend my time really researching all that much. And the more I looked into it, the more it seemed pretty fitting and kind of just combined all of the passions that I know are in my life right now. So yeah. Mm. That's awesome. And regarding traveling, can you tell us about, let's start off with your hometown being in the Pacific Northwest because you grew up in parts of Washington and Oregon. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So the town that I'm from is called Snoqualmie, Washington, and I've grown up here my whole life all 18 years until I moved down to San Diego for school. So lived in the same house my whole life. Um, Love the Pacific Northwest, specifically in the summertime. It rains a lot more than my liking here. It's always gray, but the summer months are incredible and you cannot beat them. Seattle in the summer is to die for. There's so many lakes and we live really close to a river and like the best alpine hiking that you can find with like snow snow runoff lakes at the top and always ways to fill your time outside, which is like the best. Um, the rest of the year, I've filled my time mainly playing sports and things because it kept me active while it was pretty nasty out. But definitely I'm thankful to have grown up here. It's taught me a lot. And then you mentioned Oregon also. My family goes down to a town called Seaside, Oregon every summer for a week. And so that's kind of where I first learned to love the beach and Mm. what I guess ultimately led me down to San Diego for school. But yeah, big parts of my life for sure has been in the Pacific Northwest. Mm. And what's one thing you would recommend a visitor if they were to visit Seattle or Washington to do, particularly in the outdoors to, to fully embrace Washington? Okay. Um, There's a couple different ferries that you can take that go to either Edmonds or like the San Juan Islands. That kind of encompasses Washington nature more than you could find anywhere else. You get to see, depending on the time of the year, you can see whales, you can see um, just all the different kinds of trees and different layouts of what the Pacific Northwest looks like. That's super special. So I'd recommend taking a ferry somewhere or going and hiking around in the in the mountain passes. There's so many different trails, um, and it's just gorgeous. If you go in the springtime, you get to see wildflowers. You get to go swimming in the lakes. You can go fishing up there. 
So definitely Which fun outdoor hike? activities. What was that? Which one's your favorite hike? There's a hike called Snow Lake, and that one's probably my favorite. Yeah, it goes up, and then there's a big alpine lake that is ridiculously cold, but I've had a couple of friends swim across it in the summertime, and oh. it's just always a good time. Mm, that's awesome. And are there any recommendations you would recommend someone to, when they visit Seaside, Oregon? Oh, good question. Uh, we spend most of our time at the beach when we're there, uh, but there's a main strip and it's all full of like little shops and that are pretty local. Um, there's some really cool like local artist shops and there's a photo gallery there. So just kind of, I don't know, it's like small town bopping around day at the beach kind of thing. There's a kite shop you can get a kite from to go fly. Um, but yeah, pretty mellow when we're there. Mm. And whenever you're traveling or you're in San Diego, what's one thing you miss about Washington or the Pacific Northwest? Definitely the mountains. Uh, you can see mountains when you're in San Diego or anywhere else you go, really. But the mountains here are different. They're a lot more blue. Like, I feel like in California, mountains are like brown, a lot more dirt and <laughs> Things where up here it's like dark stone, a lot of evergreen trees. Um, so those kind of shades of color I miss a lot when I'm gone. So what's one thing that you're proud of being from Washington and Pacific Northwest? I guess I would say Washington brings a kind of resilience to a person for somebody to be able to withstand eight months of gray gloomy weather and still have a <laughs> smile on their face when they walk outside that is something that i'm proud that i have learned since i've been here that i guess you can carry anywhere you go mm -hmm. that's so awesome and let's talk about one of the places that impacted you a lot the anza borrego desert and the borrego springs can you tell us about the times you've been there and what it is and how that has impacted you? Yeah, definitely. I had never seen the desert before I went to Anza Borrego. Um, the first time I went was maybe a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And it's just east of San Diego towards Acatillo. Um And it's pretty much, it's just the desert. There's not a whole lot out there besides cactus and dirt and the sun but I absolutely fell in love the first time I went and I always want to go back and it seems to be the place that I just long for anytime I'm gone um it's I mean all I do there is wander pretty much you can climb mountains or big hills whatever you want to call them you can camp you can see more stars than I've ever seen anywhere else in my whole life which is just so incredible and it just makes you feel really small when you're there. And I think that's what I like about it most. I like anywhere that will make me feel small. But Anza Borrego is the first place that I really understood what that was like and have been able to go back. So it's a lot of fun. And it's fun if you just take a group of people and go camping. And there's really nothing to do besides hang out. So you bring spike ball and you play and you set up like one tent, but you all end up sleeping on blankets outside underneath the stars. And yeah, it's just unlike anywhere else I've ever been. Mm. What has been your favorite memory 
in that desert. Like when you think of that desert, a certain flashback hits in your head. Okay. There's two times, I guess, that I think of initially. The first would be the very first time I ever went to the desert. I was with a group of friends and I only really knew two of them very well. You, it was with RT and his two roommates, Miles and Jonathan, okay, yeah. and then my roommate, Elizabeth. And so they called me up. I was on a closing shift working IT, and they mm-hmm. called me up, and they're like, what are you doing when you're off? We're going to the desert. You have to come. And I was like, it's like 11 o'clock at night. I have no idea. We have class tomorrow, but okay, I'm in. So I called Elizabeth to make sure she would come with me. And reluctantly, she said yes, and I don't think she regrets it, so I think that's probably a good thing. But they picked us up. They had a Jeep with no doors and no roof, and it was freezing cold, and we drove out to the desert, and we got there at, like, midnight, and we just scrambled around on the rocks and ran around and then drove back. And we got back at, like, 6 in the morning, and I slept for an hour and then went to class the next day. And it was, like so much fun just absolutely ridiculous but yeah that was the first time I'd ever been out to the desert Mm -hmm. and then the second time that comes to mind we went to try and go camping in Joshua Tree but it was full and so there's this land called the BLM land which is pretty much like unowned you don't have to make a reservation you just drive out on this dirt road and we just pulled over to the side and we set up a tent and we just hung out there And there was a group of us, probably 12, I think, or something, somewhere around 12 people. And we camped that night, and it was the most beautiful sunrise ever the next morning. And we woke up and we drove to McDonald's and got food. And it was just like real innocent fun, pretty much, is what it was. So that's kind of what I think of when I think of the desert. That's awesome. And are there any tips you would give to someone in Southern California that has has not been to the desert yet? definitely go do whatever you can to get there bring water um it gets cold when the sun goes down so bring layers and don't expect too much but just know it's going to be a time like you've never experienced before Mm, that's awesome and let's transition into talking about your first international experience which i believe is cuba can you tell us more about that Yeah, that was my first international trip. Um, I went the summer before I started at Point Loma. And I went with a group from my church. We went down there for a mission trip and went into, um, I can't remember the exact name of the town that we were in, but um, it was away from all of the resorts and everything that's on the other side of Cuba. And Mm. pretty much our job there, we were running camps at different churches um, doing door-to-door evangelism and then working on a construction project to build a youth center there. Um, and we were there for 10 days. The first time I'd ever yeah, been anywhere outside of America and it was the most eye-opening experience I've ever had. And I think that's what initially sparked my desire to see more of the world because I realized how much of a bubble I live in while I'm here. And mm how much more there is to life than what I grew up knowing. Hmm. So what things did you see that truly opened your eyes? Yeah. Um, I ex- witnessed like a different level of poverty than I've ever known. 
and yet in that like the most pure joy than I've ever seen before so these people have nothing materialistic which is so much of the world that I grew up in but to see that they're willing to give you anything that they had like they were the most hospitable people I've ever met they would welcome you into their house even though they didn't know you and we didn't speak the same language and they would offer you food and cook for you and give you anything even though they barely have enough to feed their family uh that kind of hospitality and generosity and just their attitude of love is something that I was so foreign to um yeah I learned so much by being there and meeting those people and and building relationships and yeah the first time I'd ever really stepped so far out of my comfort zone but to see that like people are still willing to build relationships even though it is so far out of my comfort zone and the amount that I could learn from simply going and being and they don't expect anything really in return even though I thought I was going to serve them uh yeah just kind of flipped my whole perspective mm, that's awesome and the last guy I, inter- I interviewed, he went to Havana, Cuba, and he mentioned how in Havana, it felt like he was going into a time capsule, as if this place was preserved in the 1950s. So did you feel that way, as if you traveled back in time? Yeah, um, I think my experience there is a little different, but... Okay. Towards the end of our trip, we went to one of the resorts that was there. We all hopped on a bus and we took our translators with us and we drove a couple of hours to get to where the resorts are. And closer there, you see a lot more of like the old cars and the bright colors on all the buildings. And mm. um, yeah, that same kind of experience, I think that he was probably talking about where you, it definitely does feel like you travel back in time and you see everything um, stuff that obviously I wasn't around to see when it was in America, but it was super cool. Um, but the places that we spent most of our time, uh, like we traveled around in like big trucks, mainly, uh, different than what we have here, different than the old cars and things, a lot more people on bikes and stuff like that. Hmm. And how did you get your mission trip approved just due to the tensions that the U S has with, Cuba. Yeah, I actually don't really know too much about all of that. We went through um an organization called the Northwest Baptist Convention and so they send teams on international mission trips. So they did all of the organizing for all of it and it was like in between the time where we Americans were allowed to go and visit through whatever uh kind of visa that we had. So mm-hmm. I don't really know the details of how it all happened, but. Mm. And did you get to experience any touristy things while you're there, especially at that resort you were at? Yeah. Um, and not a whole ton of like touristy stuff, but yeah, that resort was, it was like an all-inclusive, like there was a huge buffet style cafeteria and then, it was mainly like hanging out at the beach. The water was so warm and like crystal blue. It was so cool. Like the warmest water I've ever swam in. It was gorgeous. Um, yeah, but that was like one day worth of our time there that we spent. And it was, yeah, mainly just hanging out at the beach while we were there. Wow. Cool. And would you recommend someone to go to Cuba just based off of your experience and the 10 days that you were there? 
to get to know the people, to experience the waters. Yeah, I would say if you get a chance, go anywhere that you can. But there's so much to learn by being there. The people are incredible. If you have any sort of connections that can get you there, I would say definitely go. You can learn a lot. And I know it changed my life. I felt weird about going to the resorts after seeing all of the poverty that I had seen while I was there um, mm. was a little bit unsettling. So I don't know that I would necessarily recommend the resorts after seeing the other side of everything that happens in Cuba. Um, but if you have an opportunity to go and meet the people like native Cubans, then I'd say definitely go. That's awesome. And now I think I want to transition to talking about your time in New Zealand. So you first, I think, pronounced Dunedin. Yeah. You were in Dunedin. Can you tell us more about that and how life yeah, was there so and what the culture was like? Definitely. So I went to Dunedin uh, during a study abroad. So I went to the University of Otago while I was there. And mm. I didn't know what to expect at all going into it. I'd never spent that far or that long away from America. Um, and the culture is different than I really even knew what to expect. So it's a lot more mellow is the word that I use, like slow paced pretty carefree, at least where I was. So down in Dunedin, it was a big like student run town. The university is pretty central to a lot of what Dunedin is. Um, big party area for the students. They throw really big parties. Um, <laughs> and so that gets kind of crazy, but like I stayed with a host family, so I got to see kind of a different side of it as well, which I'm super thankful for. Um, and yeah, it just seems like a lot more of a balanced lifestyle. So uh, my host dad was a software engineer for a company and he would go to work, but he absolutely loved hiking and stuff too. So he was able to show me around um, some of the trails around their house and the botanical gardens. And it's like the most beautiful land ever. Everywhere you go, they have beaches all around because it's a big island. Um, so I got to see a lot of really cool beaches. And yeah, the friends that I made there were incredible. And we're still in touch and yeah, mm. just a lot, a lot more carefree, a lot slower pace. Nobody's in a rush to get things done. Um, less stress, I guess. That's awesome. Can you tell us about the favorite hikes and beaches you've been to while you were in Dunedin? Yeah. Um, I guess the most common beach that I went to while I was there is called St. Clair. Um, they had like a really cute coffee shop right out next to the water and easy to walk along and I don't know there's a lot of like real small beaches I guess uh there's one called Sandfly Bay which is there's a big peninsula in Dunedin and so if you drive out on the peninsula it's just absolutely gorgeous you've got water on both sides of you and everything else is green and then Sandfly Bay you can see like big sea lions and seals that just like lay on the beach and walk around in the water um so that was really really cool hikes uh there's one hike that i did most while i was in dunedin itself which was called pineapple track and then i was lucky enough to join uh they call it tramping but join a tramping club through the university that I was at. And then they took us on all sorts of different hikes. So I got to go on a couple backpacking trips. Um, 
but they were on the west side of the island more. So we'd hop on a bus and then drive out and do like part of the Kepler track, or there's a place called Paradise where there are a couple different trails that we hiked on. And um, there was one called Rogers Lake. That was my first ever backpacking trip where we like camped and it was an overnight hike. So that was really, really cool too. And just absolutely stunning land like I've never seen before. Mm, wow, that sounds so amazing. How would you describe the culture shock you experienced in New Zealand the first time you arrived? It was different than I had anticipated. So I didn't, I didn't really think I would get all that homesick when I left. Um, but I think the biggest adjustment was going from Point Loma, which is such a small school where everybody wants to be friends with everybody, to going to University of Otago, which is like 25,000 students or something crazy and you see one person and you meet them and then you probably never see them again so it was a lot mm -hmm. harder for me to like build relationships than I had expected it to so I, the first couple of weeks there um was probably the biggest shock for me because I'm used to constantly having people around me to talk to and process with and all of that um mm -hmm. but it was a lot more phone calls to friends back home um or my family and all of that until I got connected to a church and then that's where majority of my close close friends came from and so that helped ease the the shock of it I guess um but it definitely took a couple of weeks of adjusting living with a new family and um kind of new schedule and figuring out the lay of the land and everything I think the other biggest thing was I was used to being constantly busy and on the move all the time and then to step into a culture that's so much slower than what I was used to I felt like I was like wasting my time or not making the most of it or not seeing enough or all of those fears. Um, but realizing that I was stepping into that culture and I want to experience it through the lens of what New Zealand is and not through the lens of my American eyes and see like, how can I bring America into New Zealand? That was not the purpose of it. Uh, so once I came to that realization, it was a lot easier for me to slow down as well and join the people who were there. Mm. So what other New Zealand habits did you pick up during your time there to ease your transition? Um, I definitely hung out in coffee shops a lot more than I do normally, which is funny because it seems like an American thing also. Um, mm. But that seemed to be a pretty common pastime. I don't know what necessarily New Zealand type things I did besides... Once I started building relationships, it was a lot easier to just go hang out with people. It's pretty much the same as what I do here. Uh, mm. Go over to people's houses, hang out, join a small yeah. group through church, walk along the beach. Uh, we went on a really, really fun road trip during our Easter break uh, all around the west side of the island. Those kind of wow. things were some of my best memories uh, and kind of how I filled my time while I was there. But it was not all too different from from what I do here in in San Diego. That's cool. And were there any challenges in language at all? Mm, they speak English, which is really nice because I don't know any other languages. Um, they have an <laughs> accent, but that was more cool than challenging. I like hearing it. Um, they do use some different words that I had no idea what they meant. So the one main one that threw me off more than anything, they say top up which so like I bought a 
like a, just a cheap little New Zealand phone while I was there. And they're like, okay, how much do you want to top up on it? And I had no idea what that meant. And then, so I just paid whatever they asked me to. I was like, okay, sure. Take that. I don't know what it's for, but okay. And then the mm-hmm. same thing happened when I was riding the bus because I would ride the bus from my host house to school the first couple of weeks that I was there. And so I had a bus card and they were like, okay, and how much do you want to top up on it? And again, I was like, uh, like, no clue what you're asking me so I ended up asking a lady from church because she was just laughing about our accents and everything being different and I was like yeah and what the heck is top up everybody keeps asking me if I want to buy a top up and I have no idea what that means apparently it's just like prepaid stuff so if you like for my phone it was like prepaid minutes how many minutes do you want to buy on the bus card how much do you want to load onto it that one threw me more than anything else (laughs) oh wow that's so good to know too now whenever we go to New Zealand. Yeah, if you ever happen to be there and somebody asks you to buy a top-up, there you go. Prepaid stuff. Yep. So one of the destinations that you visited in New Zealand was Queenstown. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, definitely. So Queenstown is a lot more of a like a tourist attraction town. It's kind of the home of all extreme sports. If you've heard of New Zealand, you've probably heard of Queenstown. Um, it's there that they have a big luge that I've gotten to go on. The biggest thing I did while I was there is I went bungee jumping, which was insane. Um, Mm. it's like the home of the first bungee jump or first commercial bungee jump, I think. Uh, so that's super cool, but yeah, it's close to the mountains. So a lot of people go, uh, snowboarding and skiing up there. It just is a lot more, yeah, tourist activities, I guess is what I would say. Mm. So how was your experience bungee jumping, especially the expectations of not having previously bungee jumps before? Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but somehow I can still say that I would do it again. Um, it was so much fun. I went with, I met my friend, so my roommate from San Diego, her name is Elizabeth. She met me in Queenstown and we ended up going bungee jumping together. And our plan was to go tandem so that you're like connected. Our thinking in that was that if one of us wimped out and wasn't going to jump, at least the other person would. (laughs) And then we were going no matter what. And then we got there and they were like talking to all the people who had just registered and they're like, all right, so here's the deal. The it was over this big river. So they're like, the water is a little bit too high today. So we're not doing any tandems. So everybody's just going to suit up and we'll head up to the bridge and you let us know when you're ready. And they just continued on. And Elizabeth and I just looked at each other like, Oh no, like, what do we do now? So we had to do it alone. So Elizabeth says, okay, I have to go first. You have to jump after me because if I watch you jump, there's no way I'm going to be able to do it. I said, that's totally fine with me. I'm going to have just as hard of a time whether I go first or second. So you can go first. That's all good. So you get all suited up, whatever. You put your harness on. We walk up to the bridge. We had watched a couple people jump before us. And then I just said, like, I can't watch anymore. I have to do it. Otherwise, I'm never going to do it. But so we walk up to the bridge. And the lady's like, okay, yeah, point at me. Come on up here to the front. And I was like, hold on, what? Because in my head, I have, like, enough time to kind of, like, hype myself up, get myself ready. There's, like, ten other people up there. But for some reason, they only had one bungee going that day instead of two. And so they had to do it, like, by size. And because I'm short, I had to go at the front of the line. So 
all of a sudden there were like two people in front of me and then it was my turn and Elizabeth was like four people behind me and so (laughs) you just jump up to the edge and they count you down and then you just jump and you can't really think too much about it otherwise you get way too in your head and so I just jumped and I screamed the whole way and it was crazy but I'm so glad I did it and I would definitely do it again I could I have no idea why but yeah Mm. that was bungee jumping right there wow so you're one of the most fearless people I've ever met like you're (laughs) willing to take a lot of risks and just have the attitude of it's going to be okay at the end can you tell me how you became that way of just being okay with un- uncertainty, uncomfortability, and fear? Hmm. Well, thank you, first of all. Um, I don't know how I got to be this way. I think, <laughs> I mean, I've always been well taken care of. I've never been in a position where I didn't have what I need. My family takes really good care of me, and I know that my God is faithful and there's a plan for my life, whether I know what it is or not. Um, and so I've, I guess just through experiences in my life have led me to where I am now, where I'm able to trust that God is good and he's going to take me to good places. I also mm-hmm. think there's so much value in being uncomfortable that I almost kind of seek it out now where mm-hmm. I know I'm going to grow more and be more thankful for the experiences that I have if I'm stepping out of my comfort zone than if I'm going to stay sedentary. I don't think I was made to live a sedentary life. I don't think many people are. Um, Mm -hmm. There's so much of the world to see. And there's no way that one perspective on the world can be formed anywhere near like what this world has to offer if you stay in one place the whole time. And so I guess it's just, I mean, it comes with practice, just like anything. Stepping out of your comfort zone is never going to be easy, but the more you do it, the more fun it is. And mm. I think, I don't know, all of these different experiences that I've had throughout my life have just shown me that it's way more exciting to not know what's going to happen to you next than to try and plan everything out and be disappointed if it doesn't work out that way. Mm. That's awesome. And do you think that practicing seeking discomfort comes through just saying yes to a lot of things or do you have to intentionally just find the road less traveled and go through that or what's your take on seeking this discomfort i think you can do it both ways definitely saying yes to things that you wouldn't normally um i had never gone camping before i went like before my senior year of high school pretty much And that's one of my favorite things to do in college now is to go camping. And it's just, you, I would never have any idea if I didn't say yes the first time that I went. Uh, Same thing, similarly, just this last semester, I started rock climbing. I'd never gone rock climbing. I was intimidated because I thought I would be really, really bad. But it's like one of my new favorite hobbies. And Mm -hmm. same thing goes talking to new people. Like, it's always going to be uncomfortable to try to start a conversation with somebody that you've never met before. But just by saying hello and offering a smile, it gets easier from there. And so I guess saying yes, if somebody asks you to do something that you wouldn't normally say yes to, but also, yeah, pushing yourself, I think is really important in being intentional in what you choose to do. 
So like reaching out to people, saying hi to people that you wouldn't normally talk to, sitting next to people in the cafeteria that you don't know all that well, but would like to know better, uh, being bold and I guess passionate in the things that you decide to follow through with. I think a lot can be done when there's passion behind it and people look on that um, Mm. admirably. Yeah, that's so awesome. And let's go back to Queenstown. Is there anything more that you wanted to add or any other memorable experiences you had while there? Uh, Yeah, I guess one thing that I would mention, I think something that makes it really cool and sets it apart from most other places that I've ever been before um, would be the people who work there. So it's got all these little shops, like candy shops and uh, like stores and restaurants and all these different things as any tourist attraction does. But the people who work there are not from Queenstown usually. They come from like all over the world and they come simply because they want to be in Queenstown or in New Zealand. And so they come because they want to snowboard during the season. So they'll come in winter or they want to come and water ski on the big lakes that are there. So they come in summer, Uh, whatever it is. It's just cool that there's this group of people from all over the world who all had the same desire to be in one place. And that's what brought them together. And a lot of it is just seasonal jobs. And so it's people in between things, but it's different than the people who, the people you meet who are like chasing a career. So I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting also. Mm. Wow. And what's one thing you would take away from your time in New Zealand that you find yourself remembering in the U.S.? I think the biggest lesson I learned or was able to take back with me is the lesson to slow down, which is ironic now that we're in quarantine and the whole (laughs) world has slowed down. But that's something that I got the opportunity to learn before the whole pandemic came. So I'm thankful for that, to be Mm. able to sit in stillness and value that instead of um, before I went, I got restless a lot easier and restless for different reasons where those same kind of fears, like I was afraid that I wasn't doing enough or like making the best memories or going to have the best stories to tell. But through my time there, I was able to learn to be still and to enjoy the moments that I'm in with the people that I'm around to not push my perspective onto the world that's around me, but instead to sit in the culture that I'm surrounded by. Mm. And I think bringing that back here to America, it's allowed me to sit with people that I wouldn't normally or approach situations with a different perspective and a lot more grace and just move a bit slower, which I think is is valuable in a society that moves as fast as ours does. So I'm thankful for that. Mm. That's awesome. What practices and activities do you do to slow down in this time of quarantine? I journal a lot. I'm a very external processor. So in order for me to really think about much, it either involves talking to people or writing it down. So a lot of that has been through journaling and reflecting on what it is that I miss about life before the pandemic, what I'm excited for, whatever emotions it is that I'm feeling. Um, A lot of it comes through reading books also. I love to read and I've been able to finish a whole lot of books since I've been back in Washington. Um, But that just allows me, again, another opportunity to gain a new perspective, to hear another story. Uh, Yeah. Mm. All slower activities. 
That's awesome. And what do you think all of this traveling you've done taught you, especially in being an airline pilot and sharing your experiences with others? Can you tell us what passion it brought out of you? Yeah, definitely. Um, Every opportunity that I've had to see a new part of the world has left me so much more full than I was before I left. And I think that's the value of traveling is you get to see so much more. You get to hear new perspectives. You get to expand your own perspective. Um, Getting to experience different cultures is so much different than just learning about them in a classroom or reading about them in a book. And it's through those experiences and that time in all of the different places that I've gotten to go that shaped me into who I am now. And like the reason that I'm able to sit for so much longer than I ever could before or be fearless in the opportunities that are in front of me and say yes to things that I wouldn't normally. I've just had the opportunity to grow. And I think travel offers that to everybody who has the opportunity to go places. And even if it's not international or anywhere far away, but to simply drive to a different side of your county and see something other than the bubble that you're you're used to seeing every day it gets you out of the mindset that the world revolves around you and everything that you see here and like I mentioned earlier it just makes you feel so much smaller it shows you how much more connected the world is that people are people no matter where you go and humanity is is built to work in unity with each other um yeah I think those are things that I've learned because I've had the opportunity to travel and I guess has also influenced me to want to be a pilot, to allow people to go places and experience these things also. Um, Like with anybody and everybody, and it's way more fun to do it with a group of people than to go by yourself, at least for me as an extrovert. But Mm. I guess that's what a pilot does is they just bring a group of people together, no matter who they are, and you get to take them to this brand new place for whatever reason it is that they're going. And I just think that's really exciting. Wow. That is so cool. And what is one experience you would recommend someone to do in their lifetime to live a regret free life? That's a good question. One thing I would recommend just constantly be willing to try something new. That's not very specific at all, but I know that like I'll pick up pretty much any hobby somebody introduces me to. I don't know what it is, but I've tried everything. I learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube. I tried to learn how to play guitar. I've taken up rock climbing. You name it, I'll give it a shot. And I think that in itself is pretty valuable because it teaches you all these new skills that might not be very important on their own, but it allows you to build relationships with people that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to know otherwise. Um, So, yeah, I guess I would just say don't be afraid to say yes to something new, no matter what opportunity you're in, because even if you feel like you have a plan for how everything is supposed to work out, it's never guaranteed to go that way. And it's better to be more prepared than not. Mm -hmm. That is such an awesome answer. And last question, do you have anything you want to promote? Yeah, um, there's one company that I've just recently started learning more about. 
and they're called Four Days. Their Instagram handle is for like F-O-R with two underscores and then days, D-A-Y-S. And they're a closed circuit clothing company. So uh, it's through like a subscription pretty much and you get to clothes and when you're done with them, you just send them back and they repurpose them. They uh, pretty much bring them back into their original threads and create new clothing out of them. And what it does is it just reduces the amount of waste that we have from textiles in the world. And that's something that I've become pretty passionate about as I see, especially American society, how much clothing waste there is. The whole fast fashion trends uh, ruins a lot. And Mm -hmm. for somebody who's eager to explore the world, I want the world to stay as healthy as it can. And not only that, it impacts the lives of people as well. And so this company is doing a lot. And I think it's an incredible innovation. And that's what I would promote given the opportunity. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on to my show. Oh, thank you for having me, Wes. It's been an honor. (laughs) Hey, guys. It was so cool to listen to Emma's travels and hear about her dream to become an airline pilot, to share her vision of taking others around the world with her. I'll definitely be encouraging her along the way to pursue this amazing dream. Be sure to follow Recovering Travel Junkie on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook, and catch us next time on wherever you get your podcasts. See you.